Welcome to Real Life Mentoring, where we explore real life issues to help you make an authentic difference in the world. Hi, it's Chris and Christina, and we are back with Phil Reynolds talking about emotional intelligence. Today, we're going to talk about a different aspect. We gave a great introduction to what it is and how to use some principles of emotional intelligence. Chris, tell us where we're going to go today. We gave some examples in a previous podcast. Right, episode. right, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I want to start off by asking you, Phil, let's talk about for practical reasons so people can relate to this quickly. How would you know a supervisor, a boss, a leader does not have good emotional intelligence? Great question. One is you just look at their behaviors, how they treat their people, how they communicate, things like I've seen a leader share with their one of their directive reports and say something like not something like they did say this. A five-year-old could do what I just asked you to do. Mm-hmm. So whenever you're demeaning to someone, I talked to a client earlier today and they were yelling at a customer service person and they got emotionally hijacked, they had nothing to do with what was with the conversation, it was something outside that they've been stuffing down and stuffing down. That's why you don't stuff your emotions down. You learn how to manage them more effectively, as well as things like to where you make justifications in your mind for behaviors that you're doing because the ends justify the means at this point. And when you're doing that, you're showing a lack of emotional intelligence. And part of the reason I want to talk about this is because there are a lot of people who get up every morning, Monday through Friday, at least, and go to work and they are dreading work because how they are treated on the job. Mm-hmm. And then they go home and they're exhausted. I have a personal right. example. I worked under this man years ago and he wanted me to run some hospital visits with him. And I thought, sure, you know, I want to spend time with this guy, just now getting to know each other. And so we go to these hospital visits and conversation is very surface between the two of us in the car. I'm thinking it's a great day, no big deal. What I did not realize is that he was really upset with me about something that he did not think I had followed through with the night before. Mm. So we pulled back into the parking lot where we worked. And right before we got out, he goes, oh, I have a question to ask you. I'm thinking, sure, what is it? And this is what he asked me. Chris, do you ever screw up? I thought, what Mm. a strange question. After our time together of about two hours, I said, yeah, I know I do. Well, you screwed up last night. And he just let me have it. And then told me what I did not do or should have done. And then he got out of the car and we walked into the office and there was no more discussion. And I was surprised. I was shocked. I was angry. Sure. What was that about? And so that caused me in the very beginning of our working relationship to be careful with how much I trusted him because I thought everything was okay. Right. Well, so rather than give you effective feedback along the way he gunny sacked that as we Mm -hmm. say in Oklahoma and just (laughs) waited and and didn't do it effectively and that shows a lack of emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. because of of understanding they're upset and angry but rather than dealing with it in a healthy way they dealt with it in an unhealthy way that's why studies have shown over and over again people with high levels of emotional intelligence have greater career sex foster stronger personal relationships have effective leadership skills and are healthier mentally and emotionally than those with low emotional intelligence. We've talked about in the work setting, but 
in family, in households, what are some good examples? I just want to give the listener plenty of examples of, let's say a parent have a bad day. Little Johnny does something ridiculous because little Johnny's seven. What's a bad emotional <laughs> response from a parent? There could be several. The <laughs> one, one would Let's be, ask our children. Yeah. How's yeah that? Let's ask our children. children. In fact, so I'm sure they'd line up and have multiple examples at our house. The mm-hmm. one is just flying off the handle and anger. And it's, it's okay to be upset. There's nothing wrong with anger unless it's taken out on the individual in an an unhealthy way. I'm very angry. So how do I tell them what they did wrong without crushing their spirits? And we we wouldn't do that just with our children. We do with that children, but it's also we do it with our spouses as well and our partners and the element of they might say something and we roll our eyes. Mm. That's a lack of emotional intelligence. Or we take a sigh like, you're asking me that again, and it's that <laughs> lack of patience. I'm, I'm sensing I may have hit a nerve. Is well, what, what if you roll your eyes and you have a heavy sigh at the same time? <laughs> Did we well, just stop the recording and you just do a session for us? There's not enough time. The So all, all those go into play because when, one of my neurologists that I worked with that, that helped me after my aneurysm said, the brain can't tell the difference between home and work from a stress standpoint. It's just stress. Hmm. And so part of managing stress more effectively is managing your emotional intelligence, managing your emotions. And I'm trying to think it's a, the Yanks, I believe it's the Yanks-Dotson curve. It talks about a little bell curve, high stress, high performance. Performance doesn't always mean greatness. It means I'm really, really busy and I'm under a lot of stress. When we're on the far end of that, that creates something that on their little bell curve they created called, I just think it's pretty funny, but it's called zone of delusion. You think you're doing things well, but you're wow. not really doing anything. And so stress is really in the, the sweet spot is in the middle or to the little bit of the left. You want some stress and a higher level of activity or performance, but you want to be sure that what you're doing is moving toward the right direction. Emotional intelligence gives you the ability to stop, take a breath, and is what I'm doing move me toward the outcome and direction I want? That's good. We talked earlier because we are a mentoring podcast. We talked about how mentors can use emotional intelligence. Speak to us about if I'm a mentor, how do I better develop emotional intelligence in the relationship, either as the mentor, help my mentee speak to that in mentoring? First, talk about the mentor, because that's, I know you work with a lot of mentors in that process. One is developing their own understanding of their emotions, as well as their moods. Mm. Moods oftentimes last longer than emotions. And and recognizing how they impact you and the people around you, which you want to, second is develop your self-awareness, understand how my emotional intelligence impacts the behavior and influences those people I'm trying to mentor and develop in that process. And my my recommendation, I think it's Bill George who wrote the book, True North. He talks about every leader should take at least 20 minutes a day for some type of reflection. So take time to reflect on the facets of emotional intelligence that drive your behavior, what you say, what you do, and use your self-awareness as a way to inform you of how you are responding, how you want to respond and react to other people in the future. 
one of the things I do most of the time, I find I, I'm I'm a horrible journaler, but what I can do is I still can reflect. Mm-hmm. And I've a lot of friends they really love to journal. I hate it. And so I always ask myself three questions: What did I do well today? And I focus in on the element of a skill or something I'm working on, emotional intelligence, because you want to reinforce in your brain to do that again. Second question is: What did I not do well? Where did I either tee off or shove down or maybe not be honest with myself or that person. And then third question is, what will I do differently? And the reason you want to do that is the brain is drawn to anticipation or goals. So what did I do well? What will I do differently next? It's reinforcing what you did and redirecting what you'll do next time to really help you move forward. That takes about 15 minutes maybe 20, depending on the reflector. But what happens oftentimes with some people is they ruminate and mm-hmm. they, they go into the ought and the shoulds and it doesn't really reflect, it's not self-awareness. And rumination is actually, the research says, bad for your brain. Well, that, and, that, that speaks to me a lot. I've ruminated yeah. in my life a lot thinking I was processing maybe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, would you mind going back and, and explaining the difference? In those two. So ruminating, you can't do anything about. Ruminating is you're just turning it over and over, over and over. And it usually causes some type of internal stress, guilt, shame, and you go into the oughts and the shoulds. You Mm -hmm. can't do anything about oughts and shoulds. You can't change those. Whereas if I say, this is what I did not do well, this is what I'll do differently next time, that's moving you forward to action. And you're shifting your focus to not just what I did wrong and ruminating on that, but what will I do differently to begin to move forward or in that, in that area that I want to develop or I need to develop? Yeah, that, that reminds me, we did a podcast with a friend of ours, his name's Todd Vincent. He, he is a part of the giant network giving tools, you know, in leadership coaching, but there's a tool called know yourself to lead yourself. And that's what you're mm-hmm. talking about. So I love, Great. He, he uses this practice and that practice, it sounds so practical, but for somebody like me, I'm on the Enneagram that may or may not mean anything to anybody who's listening, but I'm a achiever. So I'm really mm-hmm. good at the oughts and the shoulds instead of going, what was done? Well, what could I have proved on? How am I going to do better or, you know, next time I'm encountering this situation, what do I do? That gives me concrete goals to go, okay. And not like you said, go over and over and over because that just brings shame and guilt. Yeah. What were you going to say, Chris? I actually don't remember now. I'm I'm (laughs) ruminating. (laughs) No, I'm processing what you were saying. The ruminating versus processing is if I got nothing else from today, that helps me a great deal. I, I can tell when I've ruminated or I've just, or I've actually processed and right. uh, which is the second is his healthy and the first is not. So let's Good. go back. Let's go back to speaking to the mentor. Sure. That's a practical tool that they can do is develop their own self-awareness, know themselves so they can lead themselves better. What are some right. other things as a mentor they can do to develop some emotional intelligence? Well, some, some questions again, self-awareness. You want to start with self-awareness is Ask some questions like, you know, what are my strengths and my limitations? As a mentor, I know when I mentor someone, I don't know everything. 
I, I sometimes I feel like I know less than I actually do, but I don't know everything. I just know both what am I strong in, but also what's my limitations that maybe I'm not the person that should be the mentor of that. How can this person understand the emotion of others? So part of emotional intelligence is not only being self-aware and self-managing, but also being socially aware of that mentee that they're developing what their emotions might be and how to help them. How's this person, what's their skill set on developing relationships. Some people are great at technical issues or content knowledge. What they're not good at is good at social skills. So emotional intelligence helps build those social skills, which by the way, there's the, the research says is it's been found that mentors that they have a positive relationship with emotional intelligence, that mentees have a stronger degree of confidence in them. So you need that develop the ability to develop relationship. Does the person, another question, what are my motivations? What's my why? And how adaptable am I in situations? So understanding your why as a mentor is critical for mm. you to be able to help the other person understand their why. And then how adaptable are you in the moment when the mentee begins to shift? Because my job is to serve them, not for them to serve me. Mm -hmm. And then how do I react and respond under pressure? What are some things that are my triggers that would cause me to be pressure? How do I manage that? Because as you develop your own emotional intelligence as a mentor, then you're able to help that person that's a mentee then develop their emotional intelligence as well. I know what you mean by this, but for the listener and maybe for a mentor who's already been mentoring, you said, know their why. Mm -hmm. Define that. So I, I gathered that from Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. And Viktor Frankl was a psychologist, psychiatrist, actually, that was in a concentration camp in World War II. And he began to look at people. He said, the people that were survived, able to thrive, that weren't killed and put in the, the kills and, and burned up. He said, if they understood their why, they could deal with any what in life. Mm. And so understanding your purpose, what's the reason that I'm here? It's not just a mentor, but that could be one of the things I do. Mm -hmm. but what's my why? What's my purpose? If I understand my purpose and I'm moving toward that, then the element then I can help other people do that as well. And I, I believe it was Margaret Mead. Don't quote me on that. So listeners, I'm not sure whether this is right or not. <laughs> I think she, she's a sociologist. She said, basically, you have your work and you have your purpose. And some people see that as separate, that some people work. And their purpose is outside. It's a means to an end that mm -hmm. I do my job. I talked to a gentleman in East Texas at a refinery one time. He says, I do this job because I wanted to find a place where I, when I graduated high school, I didn't have to go to college, but I could make as much money as I, I could and take care of my family. And I came here and now I'm a manager in this plant. I love it because when I'm off, I'm off. I think about it. And mm -hmm. I can coach little league soccer, t-ball, that kind of thing with my kids or go to their high school games. Some people see their world as they have my work and my purpose are overlaid a bit. There's some elements of what their purpose that they can do in their job. And then some people, their purpose is their purpose and their work, they're simultaneous. I used to have a bias years ago that that was the only right way. I've met so many people, though, they've described their elements of it, of what's right for them. So it's not a right or wrong as much as what's the decision you're going to make, but you have to understand your purpose first. Right. Then how can I, what's it going to look like for me? How I incorporate it into my life as a whole. I love that because in dealing with mentees for mentors, 
not understanding their why you can give feedback and give tools that are, it's so opposite to, they have to know their why. And then that way you can better serve them. And yeah. So I, I just think that's so good that we take the time to define that. And then as a mentor, for sure, helping the mentee, if they don't know what their why is, help them to discover that. And then that drives the car to wherever we go in conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So I know from when I went through coaching school, they, they challenged us, you, and I think it's the same thing with mentors and you two can redirect me if I'm off base here, but from a coach standpoint, the, the premise was you can never take a client further than you're willing to go yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for a mentor, at least in my experience, is if you're willing to move further, then you bring that person along. And so if I don't know my why and I don't understand what that looks like for me, there's no way or it's going to be more difficult to help the mentee or the person I'm mentoring discover theirs. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. What if somebody realizes, you know, they, they know their self to lead their self and they're like, Ooh, I think I really have a lot of blind spots in terms of my emotional awareness. What are your recommendations? What do you suggest they do to help develop that themselves? Well, I'd have them call me as their coach, but that's, <laughs> that'd be quite and we ex- get a commission be, of anybody who does. <laughs> that'd be quite expensive. There's different ways you can do that. It depends. Some of them say it depends. Each individual learns differently. They learn through, I, I learn through reading. I love to read books. I learn through dialogue and discussion and listening to podcasts and what are people saying? What are some things I'm doing? It's again, create that self-awareness and think, how can I apply this in, in my situation, in my life? What are my blind spots? Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. The other thing, and I think this is from Jahira's window, Joseph and Harry, right? And so they, the four, the four square box of that is you, you're self-aware and then you have your blind spots and then you have the things you're open in, then you have the unknown and the window's not four equal squares. What's known is about this big and what's unknown is huge. And what your blind spots are usually huge and what you don't share is usually huge. And they said, when you get receive feedback from other people, that's a good way to, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. Do you have any suggestions? And you're appropriately open and do self-disclosure. And I said appropriate self-disclosure is with other people. Hey, I'm struggling with this. So a mentor-mentee relationship they have that element of the Jahira's window to where they self-disclose. Here's some things I'm struggling with. Here's some things I see. And their premise and their theory is the more self-awareness you develop around self-disclosure and feedback is the more you'll develop around your unknown. And that, yeah. that box will get smaller. Yeah. I love that. I was thinking, you know, we've said this before, but as we kind of operate from a biblical worldview, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. So one man can sharpen another. Mm-hmm. I'm married to Chris. He's very good. He he doesn't have ill intent toward me to go, Hey, I noticed we're in this situation. You tend to do this and I can get my feelings hurt. You make it sound like I do that so easily. (laughs) No, but (laughs) the value of having other people being able to speak, I've got a group of women that I've given them permission and they will gently and lovingly say, Hey, we've kind of noticed this 
is an area or whatever, because I know their intent is for my good. It takes a lot of humility just to sit there and receive it. But then the Holy Spirit uses that for me to then that's a growth area. And I let him grow that in me and just tying back to mentor mentor relationship. We also come from a standpoint of both are learning together. The mentor may have more years, more experience or whatever, but when I've been vulnerable with a mentee to go, you know, I'm really, this is a struggle area, man, it sort of gives her extra permission to be even more open if she hasn't been necessarily disclosing everything. It just models for my mentee. It's okay to be really weak and to be forthright with our shortcomings Mm -hmm. because I need the input of other people. Yeah. Also, go ahead. Go ahead, Phil. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking as well. Age, title, position, status have nothing to do with emotional intelligence, do they? That's right. But it's easy to make the assumption, oh, you're in this high position. You really have it together. You really know how to treat people. You're confident in yourself. And I've had enough people who were, quote, my leaders who had no or very little emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. but a title or a position or age told me they should. (laughs) What were you going to say though? No, I was just, I was going to say, Christine, you kind of answered your own question that having a mentor be a great way to develop your emotional intelligence as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so to your point, Chris is you're absolutely right. There are people, they can just get things done in an organization and they'll move up. And regardless of the body count. And so some of that, as you look at an organization, like one of the activities I do when I work in an organization, emotional intelligence, I have them write out. We show a clip and it's the clip from a league of their own where Tom Hanks playing the manager goes up because the young lady didn't throw off to the cutoff person. And she starts crying, says, there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. And so the question becomes is, what are your cultural norms around emotions? Mm. What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? Okay. And so in the process of that, then people then can begin to see, hey, I can't show this emotion in this organization. And so they, they keep it in, they keep it hidden. And then what happens that comes out sideways at some point, comes out in different ways. So understanding that culture drives behavior, what people say, what people do more than anything else in an organization, because what gets rewarded gets repeated. Mm. So if there's a culture of performance is primary and it doesn't matter to anybody else, then as long as someone can get things done, as hey, you've had a huge turnover. Are we getting things done? Yes. Keep promoting them up. Mm-hmm. We've been in those, which is unfortunate. Yeah, Yeah, it is. We're talking about emotional intelligence, but I want to kind of spin the other side of the coin. You're in a culture like that. And the top performer is the, you know, gets promoted, promoted. So what, what he, he gets a better pay package, better benefits, but what is he really forsaking in terms of emotional intelligence? He just runs over whoever to get to the top. I guess my point is we know the value of emotional intelligence, but on the outside looking in, this guy has it all. He has no emotional intelligence or very little or doesn't care, 
because he's the top dog, but really what is he sacrificing from an emotional intelligence point of view? I have no idea. I mean, I, I don't mean I'm be flippant. I, I don't know because ideally we're all driven by values. By the way, that's the self-awareness around emotional intelligence. I understand my values, self-management as I live by those and their values may be, that's what they're living by. And emotional intelligence is important. They don't see that as a, as, as a need. And so when they go back then into whether it's work or even their home life or personal life, it may not be important either, which sometimes shows up in different ways. A lot of times, rather than self-management, when we have emotions that are difficult or hard to deal with because we don't take into account what we're doing and the impact, is we use other means or methods that aren't always healthy for us to deal with the emotions that we have. There may be some element of, I wish I would could have done that differently, but I didn't. And so they may, in order to deal with that, do some things that aren't necessarily good for them long-term. Gotcha. Yeah. Because I'm making a judgment on this person who's like, my value is to get to the top as, as quick as I can. But right. because for me, if I got to the top, I'd want to know that people like that I was at the top that I treated people well, you know, so again, yeah, from because, my value. Because that's a value for you. Yeah. That's a value. But, yeah. But is it, I'm going to make a statement and you say yes or no to this. If you don't have emotional intelligence, how can you, or is it possible to have healthy relationships? I think anything's possible, Chris. <laughs> so I mean, and, and the other thing too is how are you going to define healthy? Mm. Because I, I knew you would go there. Again, People are very complex and complicated. So I could grow up in a home that was extremely wackadoodle and that's what I'm used to. So that's what's healthy to me. And I marry someone and they're a wackadoodle as well. And so our wackadoodle relationships, we have no clue what's going on, but this must be healthy. This is what we're used to. Mm -hmm. And I see that a lot and thinking, holy cow, but that's what's what they're used to. And so yeah, well, until they be, until they see a need to change, there won't be a need for them to do so. This is where a, a mentor can be really important. Mm -hmm. I'm going to help you understand that how you grew up, how maybe you're dealing with relationships right now, how your emotional intelligence needs to improve. It needs to, to gain some depth. Is that fair to say it that way? Well, I, I think another way you way to position is what would be the benefit of you having a deeper relationship with your spouse? Mm. oh okay well what would that look like well because there's mentor couples as well mm -hmm. and so they people come over and i know a lot of people have been mentor couples i've been very fortunate i had great mentors in my life i've been so fortunate and they modeled for me a lot of things i was able to observe what they did to make some choices on my own i think i want to add that into my life and my repertoire mm -hmm. of what i want to do and, and so I, that's been very fortunate for me so you look at couple mentoring or whether it's not or you know whether spouse and spouse kind of thing it's a great benefit to them because people can only do what they know how to do mm. true and so part of emotional intelligence is patience of where the person is and understanding that it's okay where they are and it's about how do i help them make progress along their journey their journey not mine as opposed to perfection and if they're making progress in their journey my role as a mentor, that's great. I'm thrilled for that. 
I could also see on the job where let's say you have a supervisor who is emotionally intelligent and cares about and realizes the importance of people's emotions and how it impacts mm -hmm. the workplace. But there is a deadline on something that they would be able to, let's say there's an employee, I, but I, I want to express my emotions right now. Well, you could say they're important, but right now that's not an option. We have to fulfill this deadline, but I want to come back and we'll address that. Maybe that's pie in the sky, an example, but does it make sense to you what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just in, in realizing there's nothing wrong with having emotions or even expressing them. It's emotions are nothing more than actual chemical responses in the brain, but it's how we express them out based on how we see the situation. And so how can I not stuff my emotions down, but manage them effectively to where, hey, will you have a conversation with me? Phil, we have a deadline. I know you're frustrated. I get that. We can talk about that later, but right now we need to get this shipment out. So let's get the shipment out and this put something on the schedule. I want to hear some of your frustrations and your concerns about, about the timeliness of how we send our, our systems or processes or structure. You're, so you're not negating what they're feeling. You're acknowledging it. So I, I understand your frustration, concern, anxiety, whatever it is. But yet you don't have to deal with that in that moment. There's another time you can deal with that, that end of it. Okay. I like what you said about progress versus perfection. I think as a mentor, if we looked at our mentee through those lens, but during that self-reflection process as well, we looked at ourselves. okay, wait a minute, <laughs> I wasn't perfect, but am I making progress? Yeah. It makes me think of our oldest daughter and her husband have two foster kids. This is a brand new experience for all of us. And we are seeing a lot of emotions get hijacked in this sure. three-year-old and six-year-old, and they've been trained on how to de-escalate, you know, overly emotionally charged situations. And there was an incident that happened today. She texted me earlier, ah, mom, this happened. What is your advice? And I'm like, I'm clueless, but I'm going to, after we're done, I'm going to text her and say, okay, the goal here is progress, not perfection. I just think, gosh, what a grace filled statement looking at emotional intelligence. Well, and you can't force someone to be emotionally intelligent. It doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, it, it just doesn't. It's, it's, it is a process. And here's an example. We were newly married and uh, Christina had done something that irritated me. Imagine, Imagine that. that. Anyway, and I'm off in another room, not thinking she's around and I'm talking basically to myself and I'm going <laughs> something like, oh, that makes me so mad. And she hears me. <laughs> I'm just talking about how we've grown, you know, so being in our most intelligent. She said, who are you talking to? I mean, has someone, it's ridiculous. She looked back <laughs> now, but it was our, our situation. She said, who are you talking to? <laughs> my response was, I'm talking to my, my friend. She goes, I killed your friend. <laughs> I'm going, really? We're so mature. We're so mature. <laughs> oh my gosh. But uh, instead of being able to, to express, hey, that really irritated me. I'm going to go off in another room and sigh and roll my eyes. And oh, that makes me so mad. Now, I'd like to tell you, I've never done that since, but I have. <laughs> now I bury my face in the pillow so no one hears me. <laughs> no, but we There's do. There's progress there. We do grow. There's progress. We do grow. Yeah, but, and, and so it's the other thing that, that you, I would encourage you to, as you train your ment mentors, is allow themselves to be a learner. 
because mm -hmm. again, it's understanding what I said earlier, it's understanding their strengths, but also their limitations. They have some phenomenal strengths in bringing to the mentee, but there's also limitations in area for them to grow as well that as they run parallel of helping that that mentee. Uh, mm -hmm. not not no one no one knows everything. So if we can understand this is where I am, I'm a learner right now, that's okay. I don't expect mm -hmm. perfection, but why should I want to get better? Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Anything else? I look for I look forward to your marriage conference that's coming up. I'm sure soon. <laughs> It's been canceled numerous times. It's been canceled. <laughs> oh my well, but, God. but in reality, if you only led the business that you have, if we only did the business that we have based on perfection, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing today. Right. If we had it all right. figured out, if we never made mistakes, if we never blew it, then we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. So, And, and no one would want to work with us. Yeah. True, because we wouldn't, we would no one would relate to us. No one would relate. So anything else? Bill, what about from it. you? Any other passing thoughts? Yeah, I think I think we've 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 done everything, but yet just from the standpoint again, some other just kind of tips around emotional intelligence for the mentor and the mentee. So as you're developing your emotional intelligence in your first time, as I, I remember the first time that my mentor met with me and the first time I met with some of my mentees there's sometimes some anxiety or nervousness about the conversation. What's the relationship going to look like? And just think about what's the source of the anxiety. And I think mm -hmm. I shared in our first podcast, what I think impacts how I feel, which impacts how I behave, which impacts my results. So mm -hmm. whatever I'm feeling, there has to be a thought behind it. So take some time to go a little in depth. By the way, when I do that as a mentor, I can help the mentee do that. What's the reason I'm feeling the pressure? Oh, because I want to be perfect. I want to be a perfect mentor, whatever it may be. Uh -huh. And then emotional intelligence can help you read your mentee's emotions and mood as well. That's the social awareness part. By and just again, a good way to how are you doing? You know, just how are you doing? What's going on? Tell me about yourself. And just and then just just pay attention to their their facial expression, basic stuff, you know, body language, use of words, that type of thing, and Recall when the first time you met with your mentor, mm. you know, put yourself in their shoes. And again, realize that they're learning at this point. They're not, that's why they have you as a mentor. They're still learning how to do that and do some things in that, in that process. And then the other thing is just, just be authentic. That one of the things that connects people more than anything is just being, being who you are. And we live in a world now because we there's so much technology, there's so much even on this. I don't have any. I don't have any screens or whatever they would call those things. Well, I need a lot of them. I couldn't afford all that I would need. But yet, I remember a song from I think it was the '80s. I don't remember. It was probably before you were born, Christine. <laughs> but it was, it was by Sticks, Mr. Roboto. Oh, oh yes, yeah. I know was, that. There was a, there was a there was a line out of the song says, "I am the modern man." And then behind it, mm -hmm. it goes, secret, secret, I've got a secret. Mm -hmm. Who hides behind a mask. Secret, secret, I've got a secret. So no one else can see. Secret, secret, I have a, I've got a secret. My true identity. Mm -hmm. And when we don't show up in our real selves and show, show our true identity, we're not able to really connect with other people in a deep and abiding way with this, that mentor and mentee relationship. I was very fortunate that the mentors I've had in my life showed up and they were just real. And I've been very fortunate in that. 
Oh, that's such, yeah, that's such a good point. And I like what you spoke on too, as a mentor, not forgetting from the first meeting to ongoing, everything I'm doing is modeling that for my mentee, because I want them to reproduce what I'm giving away. If I'm Absolutely. at ease, they're at ease. If I'm genuine, they're ungenuine. Yeah. And I like the part about when we're reading a mentee, sometimes I've had like a specific plan and how they've come to the day, they're frazzled and they're stressed and something just happened. You know, the kid threw up and there was a fight with the husband before she comes and sits down, you know, with her coffee cup across from me. And I'm like, okay, probably let's not talk about the book of John. Why don't we just (laughs) unpack what your emotions are right now? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Great, great, great. It's a great way to, by the way, that's a great, Christina, great example of how to use emotional intelligence in a mentor-mentee relationship. Mm. Well done. Well, and I've shared this, this story before, but I was mentoring a guy years ago and he kept vacillating between the situation. He'd go back and forth and I was, it irritated me, but I look back as we think about emotional intelligence, he was not given tools to be emotionally intelligent in his home. And this one issue was, it was an authority issue and it was tough for him. And I remember telling myself, I think I'm done with him. He's getting on my nerves. He keeps going back and forth on this. Well, God challenged me to, and held me accountable. Don't give up on this guy. He is learning, but I had, I've never thought about that situation until now with this topic that he was really struggling with emotional intelligence and that, in that situation with an authority figure. I really do believe that now. So. Gosh, humans are complex, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And slow, slow to learn sometimes. (laughs) Bill, I'm glad that you give up your time to to impart your wisdom so that we can help people develop really better relationships in general, but specifically in the area of mentoring. This is really invaluable. It seems so simple and practical, but because it does, I think it gets overlooked. Yeah. So thank you for helping us become aware so we can know ourselves to lead ourselves well. Yeah. Anything yeah my pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. Well, and for the listener, we'll have the transcript. That's a new feature that you'll have everything that has been said, good, bad, or otherwise. And then we'll always link Phil Reynolds consulting information on how you can get in touch with him. Yeah. We'll link that in the transcript as well. So thanks for listening. We want to thank you as always for listening. If today was helpful, if something that you listened to was helpful, we would really love it if you would go to Apple or Spotify, leave us a review, download, subscribe, and for all things related to podcast, if you'd like to give a financial contribution to help us continuing bringing this sort of broadcasting to you, just go to FahrenheitMentoring.org. Hi, this is Chris Corral, producer of the Fahrenheit Real Life Mentoring Podcast. This podcast is produced through a partnership with the Confetti Corral Boutique and Michelle Corral Realtor. To find out more about these businesses who support our vision and ministry, go to confetticorral.com or find them on Facebook.